You're listening to AMWA's Diversity Dialogues, an interdisciplinary podcast that is designed to promote diversity of thought through unfiltered and honest conversations about all topics related to diversity and inclusion, highlighting the disparities and inequities in medicine and population health. And most importantly, what can we do about it? Welcome back to another installment of AMWA's Diversity Dialogues. I am your host, Cheyenne Brown. Today, I am joined by Dr. Neelam Agarwal, our Chief Diversity Officer for AMWA. We also have our special guest today, Brooke Hartenstein. Brooke is a second-year medical student at Florida State University College of Medicine. Brooke has started a virtual education advocacy series that highlights chronic conditions disproportionately affecting women and conditions with under-discussed gender disparities. And so she is here today to tell us about the work that has been done and what we can expect in the future. Thank you both, Brooke and Dr. Agarwal, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Very excited to be here. All right. So, Brooke, I want you to tell us a little bit more about yourself and, you know, how you came to be interested in learning more about the impact of chronic diseases on patient care. You could tell me a little bit more about that. So, as you just said, so I'm a second year medical student at Florida State University. Um, and so I'm almost done, actually, with my second year curriculum. I only have about two classes left. And what I'll say is that throughout my entire bachelor's degree in biology, I did a master's in medical sciences and now two years of medical school education. There's been very little education and very little opportunity for education on women's health um, and particularly on chronic diseases in women. And so that's always kind of been a topic that I've been really passionate about is women's health, women's advocacy. And typically what I see in my master's and in medical school is there will be condition listed and it'll say prevalence two to one male, female, or prevalence more four times more common in females. And if there's a difference in age onset, it'll be listed there. And that's really the extent of the education that we get on gender differences. Um, and I would say if that's all I knew, I probably wouldn't be as passionate about it. Um, but in my master's, there is a different master's that was specifically on medical sciences and women's health. And I opted to take some elective courses with their program. And within those classes, I really learned about differences in hormones, how women react differently to drugs, how we're exposed to more adverse events with medications, how women have more native experiences in medicine and how they often feel really dismissed by their providers or how their symptoms and their pain aren't taken as seriously. And they're often... Um, excused as being um, like psychosomatic mm-hmm. essentially. And so it's just, they feel a lot more dismissed. There are a few articles that I read about how providers feel like gender um, importance is in medicine and women constantly rank higher as feeling like gender is an important discussion in medicine and important for diagnostic value. And men repeatedly rank lower and rank that as not as important. Um, so those are kind of all topics that I learned about in graduate school. And I thought I would learn a lot more about in medical school. And I was really interested in learning more about, and I think as my education went on, I saw that I wasn't getting, um, taught in those topics. I really became passionate about teaching myself them and teaching others about them. 
Um, so I applied for a couple leadership positions within student organizations at my medical school. I was the president of the student interest group in neurology and then also interprofessional allies. And I became really comfortable with recruiting speakers and setting up Zoom events and setting up educational opportunities. And while doing that, I was like, oh, what a great platform to start exploring gender differences in medicine. So the first event that I did was on stroke and women. Um, and I really wanted to kind of do a panel where we had an expert talk about stroke and women. So someone who is a neurologist that specializes in stroke, um, even a neurosurgeon who treats stroke. But I also really felt that it was important to have a patient's perspective. So to find a woman who's had a stroke that can talk about her experiences. Um, so that's how I structured that talk. And it was just done locally at my school. And after that talk, I saw that it was perceived really well, not only by faculty and students, but also that the patient felt really empowered to get to tell her story. Um, and that that was something she'd been asking to do for years and just FSU had never had a good opportunity for her to do so. So that really kind of drove me to think, oh, well, what if we did this on a little bit larger scale? So I really reached out to the American Medical Women's Association, I believe back in May, and I just told them like, hey, I have this idea for a series. I just did kind of a smaller event at FSU on stroke and women. I would love to make this a larger talk. I would love to start educating on gender differences and chronic diseases. Um, these are kind of the diseases I am thinking of. So um, some of them are more neurological, so obviously stroke. Parkinson's disease, rheumatoid arthritis. We're going to talk about lupus. There's a lot of different conditions that I wanted to highlight. And so I explained those to her and kind of told her the structure that I would like to do. Um, and was just kind of like, hey, what do you think of this? Do you think we could make this happen? And I was really excited because the president immediately said yes. And she thought it was such a great idea, such a great platform to do so. And she connected me with the program coordinator. And we've been working on it since May and then just launched our first national um, talk a couple weeks ago, so the end of November, um, and that one was on Parkinson's disease in women. So it's kind of the overall gist of it, but I just really wanted to kind of create a platform where women and men um, can learn more about gender differences in medicine, and we can kind of fill that gap that we're not getting in our education. Yeah, I find that interesting that, you know, it you didn't learn these things that you were expecting in medical school. I'm finding the same thing with myself when I think back at certain things and now I learn more about different topics. I'm like, why was that, was that not covered, you know, in my curriculum, something so important. And so I, I share, I share your sentiments with that. So uh, tell us a little more about the programming that you've been doing so far and uh, how often will you be doing these and who do you invite? Yeah. So I will say that in the last one that we did, we had actually asked the medical students, it was different medical students from all over the country, um, if their schools offered like specific education about gender and medicine or if they had any specific coursework. And not a single medical student said yes. So obviously it was not just something that I was experiencing or obviously that you said that you experienced, but it's kind of a larger scale problem right. um, that we noticed. Um, so kind of the organization of this series, I tried to really structure it similarly to how I did the stroke in women where I had an expert perspective, but then also a patient perspective. Um, so for the Parkinson's and women events, um, I wanted to highlight Parkinson's. That's an area that I've actually worked in for about three years. I did research all during my undergraduate career with Parkinson's disease. And I'm just really passionate about the condition. 
And we found a speaker. Um, I won't say her name just for privacy, um, but she was actually diagnosed with Parkinson's in her 30s. And she was a practicing neurologist in movement disorders, ironically enough. And so I thought she would be such a great speaker to come talk about Parkinson's disease, not only because she worked in it, but because she experienced it and she experienced such a kind of abnormal form of it because she had it so much younger. And as a female, it's something we typically only think of a white male's disease. Um, and then even myself working in it for three years, I think I've only really worked with a few female patients. So I thought that would be such an important talk to bring to the table. So we had her come in. Um, she was kind of an expert and the patient perspective, but then we also had Dr. Agarwal on there as another kind of expert perspective as another neurologist. Um, and so the idea is to do a one hour to 1.5 hour kind of virtual education advocacy series where we introduce a topic throughout the first 30 minutes. We talk about what the condition is, um, what's the prevalence of it between males and females, kind of what are the symptoms of it, what's the treatment of it. But then we really dive a little bit deeper on, okay, well, why is this different in women? Um, what are the symptoms that they're presenting with? Is it diagnosed and is it treated the same way? If it is treated the same way, why are we treating it the same way when women are different? Um, so those are kind of the discussions that we start opening. And then we have the patient talk about what their experience was like with the condition and what it was like getting diagnosed, how long it took to get diagnosed, what their treatment looked like, how their interactions with providers were. Um, so that's kind of how we try to structure it. And then it's really just kind of conversational towards the end where students can really just ask questions um, and kind of see, you know, anything that they may be wondering that way. It's just very open and um, honest communication. So that was that one. Um, right now we're trying to plan them about every two months. Like I said, the last one was in November. We have the next one scheduled January 17th. Um, so that's pretty exciting. So if anyone's interested, definitely be on the lookout for that invite. The next one's going to be on depression in women and specifically postpartum depression. So we already have two speakers lined up for that. Um, they're both going to be speaking from the expert perspective, although one did just recently have um, a baby, so she'll be able to provide some great insight in general about taking maternity leave and medicine and kind of what that looks like. And if there's guilt associated with taking time off or not taking enough time off, which are, again, all kind of important topics in women's health that we don't talk about enough. Mm -hmm. um, so we're planning on that one for in January. And then I believe March, we're going to have our next one on rheumatoid arthritis, which we have one speaker so far lined up for. So ideally, it'll be about every two months. And then maybe as it kind of takes off, it'll go to monthly. Um, but right now, we're still trying to kind of take off and figure out the organization that works best and really work on recruiting speakers. Well, I am definitely excited uh, to see more about this program and, and to, you know, to learn from these expert opinions that will be presented. Dr. Agarwal, um, why do you think this programming is needed? Well, you know, I think what Brooke has been saying and what you also, Cheyenne, have mm -hmm. said this to me and I've heard from so many students, the sex and gender perspective is just not making it into the medical schools in a curricula in a way that's noticeable. So what Brooke says is frankly the way I was taught, um, you know, the prevalence of this is more in men than in women. Mm -hmm. But after that statement is said, there's no real discussion as in the textbooks or a lot of times in the classes as to why that is. Like, where did the data come from? Was it coming from 
um, a large epidemiology study that says this, or was it coming from a clinic? And if it's coming from a clinic or a hospital, where is that hospital? So, you know, where is the bias, okay, that could be there? And I think the other thing that Brooke highlighted with, with the programming she's doing is that she had to go outside and other courses to learn this information. Right. Mm-hmm. And we shouldn't be doing, we should be bringing that into our courses and making it seamless so that when you start talking about conditions, you make that leap. And you say, if you look at it by sex, there are sex differences. And possibly there's a biological difference. And possibly there is a treatment difference to make these conditions be chronic, okay? Um, I think the chronic part of chronic illness is really important to highlight here. So in medicine, you know, we are taught initially to put it all together. You see the patient as a whole patient. And then as we progress through medicine and the training, we get more specialized. So we only look at one thing, okay? And that's, we need to do that, right? We need specialists. But I think what's happening is that when people have chronic conditions that are there with them for a long time and it's not cured, but it's just there and managed, we have to understand how these sex differences, if you will, play out over the lifespan of somebody who may have a chronic condition. So over time, for example, stroke, the disability that can come from stroke becomes a chronic issue for somebody. And therefore, if you're a physician treating that person, you have to keep that in mind that there's a chronic condition on top of what you're treating. And if there's a sex difference, how's that playing out? Mm-hmm. So I think these are some things that it's really important we talk about it. I think the format that Brooke is using is really good. Have a patient, if you can, come in to talk about what they've been experiencing. Have the expert come in to maybe ask some questions and highlight some differences. And then have a lot of questions for people to think about what they're hearing to see what can be done. Yeah. No, that is true. But Dr. Agarwal, in your in your experience and mm-hmm. with patients, what have you seen in terms of the impact of these chronic conditions, uh, sex and gender, or even race and ethnicity when it comes to impact in care? I think they make a huge impact on a on a patient's care, and I think what's been happening over the years, and hopefully now it's changing, is that you have to ask questions about environment. You have to ask questions about where patients are coming from. You have to know your community. You have to understand what they what they have access to or not. That chronic condition, how is that being impacted by all those other, you know, the terms we use, social determinants, structural determinants of health. But to understand how those things are playing into the condition is really important. Because that chronic condition that they may have, whether it be blood pressure issues, diabetes, kidney issues, migraine, okay, these are chronic MS, these are neurologic conditions, it's all putting it all together on how they are going to live with that condition as new things happen to them or don't happen. So we have to learn to put it all together again 
and say, this is how we're going to treat. This is how we're going to give you medications and offer you um, different treatment options. Understanding that it's not just one thing you're treating, you're treating the whole patient. Mm -hmm. And patients love that when you talk to them in terms of, I'm putting it all together for you. And now let's talk about what's right for you. And frankly, a lot of them say, you respect me from where I'm at and you are talking to me knowing where I'm at and therefore let's move forward and I think you're going to get better compliance if you will you're going to get better understanding you're going to get better buy-in to to what you may want to do for their care because you know how to do this and you know how to handle these multiple things you know this is the second time that uh this has been mentioned um in another podcast series that we're doing with race culture OBGYN they mentioned about how the systemic setup of you know medicine where you only have a limited time to see patients limits you know your ability to touch on all these other aspects of the care the environmental issues what's happening at home what's mm-hmm. happening culturally you know, so that that is definitely some a direction that we we really need to be focusing on and how to fix how the system is set up and that that prevents us from really diving into the patient as a as a whole. Yeah, and that's true, and yeah. that's that's the tension that we have right now. We want to ask these questions. We want to. Oh, the other thing too, I always say. Um, and I think even, Brooke, I may have said that in the session with our Parkinson session, you have to tell people why you're asking them the question. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just don't ask. I say it all the time. If you tell them why you're asking, not only will you most likely get an answer, but you'll get a truthful answer. And that can only help you when you start to think about diagnosing and treatment plans and care. So you're right, it takes time to do this. And as these patient time slots become less and less mm-hmm. when it comes to how much time you can spend, this is our challenge. But I think it, we have to really reevaluate because we're not at times getting the whole picture right. of what's going on. Yeah, that, that's the problem. Is it's, it's not enough time to, to get this information yeah. and then you it really does impact the level of care that you, you can give. Yeah. So Brooke, uh, back to you and, and your programming. So you've mentioned so far that you've been focusing on neurological disorders like stroke and Parkinson's so far. What have you learned so far about um, these, these diseases in your series? So for the stroke in women, I chose stroke because it was something that was a lot more prevalent in women and that women have typically worse outcomes with, they have worse um, long-term chronic conditions after, um, they have lower quality of life after, more anxiety and depression typically after. So that was something that I really kind of wanted to get into and highlight and kind of just talk about. Um, For Parkinson's, like you said before, it's really a male-dominated disease. It's really not even thought about as something like women get, especially young women. And so I felt like it was an area that is really not talked about at all. And that would be really informative to just kind of learn, hey, there actually are a lot of women out there that live with this condition. And there's a lot of women who are undiagnosed with this because no one will look at it. 
um, our speaker was great at talking about that because again, she was younger. So she's not the typical over 50 that you think of with Parkinson's. She's not a white male. She was a Hispanic woman and she was even working in Parkinson's disease. She had a lot of typical uh, features. So as someone who also worked with Parkinson's for almost three years, whenever she was saying her symptoms, I was immediately like, wow, how did they not think Parkinson's disease with this? You know, the smaller handwriting, fatigue, um, she wasn't able to do a lot of the hand open and close movements, cogwheeling, a lot of those really standard features that you see in Parkinson's. She had almost all of them except for a tremor, which tremor is not usually present in all of them, especially early ones. Um, and apparently women especially don't present with tremor most of the time. So that was really eye-opening to see that it took almost two years for her to get a diagnosis as a woman. Um, and even I thought that was so crazy because I remember during my undergraduate degree, I was shadowing in family medicine for a year and I was shadowing a resident one day and there was a guy who came in with loss of smell and loss of smell sometimes presents as one of the earlier signs of Parkinson's. And the resident immediately was like, oh, maybe we should refer to neurology and just like potentially think Parkinson's disease. And that was the only symptom that he had. And then you have this woman who has almost every symptom of it who's saying, hey, I think I have this. I work with this. And she's being dismissed and being told, no, I think you're stressed. I think you're anxious. You know, you're seeing what you're seeing with your patients, which again is common in medicine. I don't know how many times I've been like, oh, I have a headache. Um, I can feel like my temporal artery. Maybe I have GCA. You know, it is a common thing to do that sometimes, but did you see how much her symptoms were dismissed and how long it took to get that diagnosis when she had a lot of the symptoms is really eye-opening. Um, so that was one thing I think that was kind of crazy to learn about. I think another big takeaway that we had from the last event was kind of talking about what the impact is on having a condition in medicine. Dr. Agarwal and I have talked about it a lot before, you know, as future providers, so me as a medical student, and then as providers, we preach about health, we preach about um, advocating for your own health, being healthy, working out, getting enough sleep, not working too hard, taking care of yourself. But we don't do that. We're overwork a lot. We stress out more than anybody. We constantly hide our health because we view it as weakness for whatever reason. So like those are all things that also inspired me to try to do this um, series was to kind of advocate for our own health, you know, make this topic more accessible but it was also something that our speaker talked about where when she came out that she had Parkinson's disease, how she was being questioned about if she should still be practicing. She's a clinical neurologist. You know, she's not um, doing any kind of surgical things. Her mental capacity was not in any way affected. Again, she's younger Parkinson's. A lot of those later cognitive things happen a lot much later. So it was kind of crazy to me that she was being questioned about if she should be allowed to still practice because if she was a male, would they be being questioned? Mm -hmm. I worked in oncology um, for a year as well. And one of the providers I worked with had a brain tumor himself and he practiced up until he passed. And I never once saw anyone question his capacity to practice medicine. Mm -hmm. And so you wonder, yeah. you know, is it just because he was a male and this is a female now who had a much less debilitating condition, arguably, that wasn't affecting her mental capacity. So like, these are all just really important things that come up when we have talks like this that I think are so important. So outside of just learning about conditions, you learn about a lot of practical implications about what people are really experiencing and why women are afraid to come out and talk about their health because you're immediately thought of as not being able to practice anymore. You know what I mean? So I feel like 
those are really important talks that were presented um, and a lot of things that I kind of took away from those talks. And then I think the last thing that I kind of took away is just how much of an opportunity this series allows women to advocate for themselves. So the stroke patient who wanted to tell her story for years and just never had a platform to do so and was so excited to come and teach and present and educate the next generation of providers, that was such an amazing experience for her and something we were so thankful for and that added a lot of value. And then the physician with Parkinson's disease who's already such a huge advocate in Parkinson's disease but was able to also come and teach our group um, and so it really does just provide this amazing platform for women to uplift each other to make difficult conversations a little bit more, like less difficult. Um, and I think even within that talk, there are other medical students who are coming forward and talking about conditions that they had. So it really does kind of create this kind of ripple effect where we open these conversations and then more women feel comfortable talking about it or more women feel comfortable advocating about it. And that's kind of the goal of the whole series is yes, ed- education is so important, but also advocating and empowering women is so important. Brooke, I'm really uh, excited, especially uh, about you know you using um, women who are physicians who are who have to be in the patient role for these various chronic conditions as well. It's I'm really excited to hear that point of view. You know, having been on the physician side and then having to experience it from the patient end. I think that is definitely a good uh, nugget in this program and that I'm really looking forward to the most. And I'm also, uh, I find that it's really important what you pointed out about the sex and gender differences, not only in how they present with the chronic uh, conditions, but also how uh sex and gender is perceived by others when you you have a chronic condition, what, what your perception of this person is based off of these differences. So uh, I'm, I think this is going to be really impactful for the students and whoever else has an opportunity to participate in the program. And, yeah. Well, thank you. That means a lot. Yeah, I think we like to think that we're kind of shifting into more female empowerment, right? More women are going into medicine, more women are taking on more difficult specialties. But a lot of the perceptions of women, especially in medicine, haven't changed really all that much. And I think that that's really evident as we open up these conversations. And it's really evident that the education hasn't really changed that much. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely a move in the right direction. But I am really excited to kind of see where we go in the next few years and then to see if we can really make any impacts with this series and kind of just start talking about these things. Yeah. Dr. Agarwal, mm-hmm. with that being said, why is it important for students to learn about these sex and gender differences, especially in neurological diseases, um, at an early stage in their education? Well, I think, you know, from all the things that you're hearing so far, right, Cheyenne, I mean, the earlier you're made aware of it, Mm -hmm. then it becomes more of how you begin to think about. And it doesn't seem so foreign. Like, what am I thinking about? Well, what are you talking about? It becomes second nature to think about it. And that's what really we should be doing with a lot of the things like these topics should be coming in so that it becomes second nature to us to just kind of bring this into our thought process, not trying to learn it near the end of our training. And then when other things are coming up that you have to think about, and you're like, wait, I don't even know how to handle this. 
Um, I think it's also really important what you said um, that when you do have physicians and women physicians coming forward and saying, here's how I lived with this condition, but here's also what really happened to me. It makes a whole difference to anyone instead of reading in a book what could happen to what is really happening. And, you know, I was also struck by the um, resistance she got, um, the barriers that were being put up to her as a specialist in this area, that she is a specialist in this area and she knows this area just as well as her other colleagues, female and male. And yet she had to navigate. And I think we were talking, one of the comments was, suppose I'm not a physician. Suppose I'm not in this area. Can you imagine how that would have felt to say that, you know what, you have to stop working. You have to stop right now. Um, You know, and I think what we don't talk enough about is, you know, when you talk about this, the chronic issues, and especially neurologic conditions, which many of them are chronic, when you start to talk about how long this will last, what, where am I in the workforce, there's a real economic impact here. And um, we touched on that. By basically stopping to work, that's one less income coming in. Mm-hmm. Okay? And that's a huge, huge impact for her and her family, how she's able to care for herself, her husband, her extended family. And with women, unfortunately, we take that economic hit really hard. We aren't in the workforce for many of us as long as men traditionally are in the workforce. So therefore, we can't accrue the dollars the way the men traditionally have been able to do. We do know that we're not being um, paid equal pay equal work. We know that. And we've seen that in surveys. And, you know, the reasons for that, we can, we can talk about, we can discuss, we can argue. But the bottom line is, if that's already occurring, where we're not being paid the same, then we're coming in as a deficit. And so that means we also are not able to make that up over time. Okay. And then the last thing is that resistance and that bias that may be coming in, like, you know, you can't work, where is that coming from? And that's the real question we have to ask. Where is that bias coming from? And the bias here was coming from colleagues. It wasn't coming from outside. It was coming from colleagues. So really trying to understand the root of that bias and then also having the voices of our, in this case, physicians talking about how they're working through this, what they did, only can serve to elevate and make us think, a little bit deeper about these topics. So this is a very important area um, that we need to bring up. Not just the biological differences, as Brooke mentioned, with sex and sex differences. Go into the gender roles, the roles that we all play. Go into the environment, go into the community to really try to get a complete picture of how this plays out over time. And we need to do this and make these linkages. We have to. Um, Otherwise, we just end up doing one little thing in, in a patient's medical history with not really addressing the underlying issues that maybe they're facing. Mm-hmm. And we need to learn about that. And you need to learn about this at the training stage. Medical school is the place to learn about this. Mm-hmm. Residency is fine, but medical school is really the place where there is opportunities to learn. Yeah, because otherwise you you even, you go into residency with, all implicit biases yeah, about exactly. different gender roles and it's mm-hmm. you know it 
now you have to do the work to unlearn these things that you that's been ingrained in you so that's that's you know my thought about why it should be you know in the curriculum very early on Mm -hmm. exactly exactly so Dr. Agarwal um, my last question for you today is you know how does your own knowledge about sex and gender differences impact how you practice and how you conduct your research? Well, I'm going to talk about the research piece first, because I think there's some real (laughs) tangible things that, you know, for our listeners today, how the sex and gender differences and disparities that we see um, is being rolled out in research. So if you look at it from an NIH perspective, um, in our grants, the grants that we put in for funding, we do have um, the mandate, if you will, that we have to discuss sex and gender considerations from whatever we're looking at, whether it be human subjects, whether it be bench research, does it make sense to include cells that, you know, every, again, cell has a sex, okay? Um, Even, you know, the rodents and the mice, what is the sex of your animals, okay? Your primate animals. And basically have to justify if you're not going to be using equal sexes. If you're only going to use one sex or another, you have to justify why, okay? Um, The other thing with the NIH that was very helpful is that even in your data and your research plan, how are you going to analyze the data, okay? So if you collect data, are you going to analyze it together, a group, what we talk about, you know, large data set? But then are you going to aggregate it? Are you going to look at it specifically by sex? Or how are the analyses going to be done to look for potential sex differences? So I think that's a positive, positive step. And we, we, we look at this in reviews and we ask about it. And the grants um, I can see over the years have become much better in being very forward thinking and stating this. We will look at this and we will examine this. And this is why we will do it. Um, So from that research perspective, it's good. When it comes down to um, clinical trials, we're still getting there with clinical trials. Whenever you have any trial going on, are there sex differences? And if they are, what are they? Why are they there? And why should they continue to be there? Okay, I think that's important when it comes to trials. Clinically, in the clinic, I can tell you knowing what I know about sex differences and gender roles, I'm a little bit more thoughtful over the years on when I give a diagnosis. Not only am I giving a diagnosis, in my case, I give a diagnosis of dementia and Alzheimer's a lot, but then I'm always thinking, what are the sex differences that I can talk to with the patient and the family that we know and we don't know? How is this going to basically play out in a a gender role what resources will they need, okay, that may be more pertinent to a female versus a male? Where can they go for certain needs? And basically design the care plan with that in the back of my mind. And I've been trying to do that seamlessly and bring these issues up with, with families and patients. And I tell the medical students, pay attention to these things. Pay attention to what patients tell you because that will only help you when you eventually have to diagnose and treat 
and care for people. And if you have this in the back of your mind that there are these differences, it really will help with outcomes down the road and you still educate as you go along. Yeah, I, I agree. I think... Um this has been a very important conversation. I'm really excited that I know we'll continue to, we'll bring Brooke back on and with other guests to continue to talk about the programming that she's doing and hear some of the personal stories ourselves and how this is working out. And Brooke, would you be able to tell us more about how we can find out more information about the programming, who has access to, you know, attend in, and those things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I don't know if I'm allowed to provide like my email. That would probably be the easiest way if someone doesn't know how to access it. Um, but typically what they did for the last one is it was sent out in the American Medical Men's Association uh, newsletter. So it was in one of the monthly newsletters and then also advertised on the Twitter. I believe it was um, the medical student division one. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if there's separate ones. Um, but that's how it was advertised last time. I know that for this next one, instead of just having a formal Zoom link, it'll be an event sign-up. So you'll just register for it and it'll send you a Zoom link like that. Um, and I believe everyone is welcome to attend. It'll ask you if you're a member of the American Medical Women's Association, but you don't need to be. So the more that would like to attend, the better. Like you said, this is such an important top and topic, and especially men who are interested in learning and who should be interested in gender topics. You know, this is not just a woman's topic. This should be everyone's topic and we should want to learn about how to provide better care for our patients, men and women. Um, so those would really be the best ways. Um, and then if you're not able, then of course you can always contact me if possible um, to kind of get more information. Like I said, the next one will be on January 17th. I think right now it's tentatively scheduled for 7 p.m. Eastern time zone. Um, So kind of be on the lookout for that date. And then I believe it's just going by the title right now of the Chronic Disease Advocacy Series. So that'll be most likely how it's labeled. And like I said before, the next talk is on depression and postpartum depression. And we have two great specialists coming in that work specifically with postpartum depression, and I'll talk about um, reproductive health and having a child in the medical field, and then also kind of the added stress and, you know, implications that happen by having depression shortly after, how it affects your ability to practice and handle a new family and balance everything. So I think that'll be a really great topic. It's not neurology, so I'm definitely branching out a little bit, and it'll be kind of catered a little bit wider. Um, but yeah, it'll be really exciting and we're definitely looking forward to it. Yeah, I am as well. Um, we'll definitely include, uh, the information that you provided in the description of the podcast so people can click the links, become AMO members as well, and, uh, you know, be able to join and participate. Dr. Agarwal, would you like to Mm -hmm. wrap us up with any last words for today? Well, I just think it's been, you know, a terrific conversation that we're having today on this important work. And, you know, kudos to Brooke mm-hmm. for finding the gap and filling it and really saying this is, you know, we need to talk about this. This is what I'm seeing. This is how we should talk about it. And not being, you know, afraid to try different options of how to present this information, right? Um, I do think that looking forward, you know, and moving forward in this, you know, AMWA has always been a proponent of teaching sex and gender medicine. We've worked with Texas Tech. We've worked with many of our colleagues. Um, 
I think, though, what Brooks' work is showing that there has to be another leap, there has to be another translational um, way to get this information out, and having that diversity of thought come in to mm-hmm. talk about these issues is, is is crucial, and that's what we do on our Council for Diversity and Inclusion, which of ideas, dissemination tactics, how do we get this information across? So Brooke, you know, kudos. Well, thank you. And thank you guys again for featuring not only the series, but also me. It's been really amazing to have AMWA support the series ever since May and then to have more people who support it and who are rooting for it and just think it's an important topic. So it's been really great and I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Back to you, Cheyenne. Yes, thank you so much for uh, both of you for taking the time today to talk with us. I'm sure the listeners enjoyed hearing about this topic as much as I have. And we're looking forward to hearing more and attending the events myself. I'm really excited for that. Good work, Brooke. All right. Thank you guys for being here. Thanks, everyone. Diversity Dialogues is a product of the Jedi Council from the American Medical Women's Association. Thank you for listening.